there are so many different levels of what I just said that could be innovated on. Them, mm-hmm, yeah. The it could be like Whirlpool comes along and says, hey, I'm going to sell Whirlpool refrigerators into this certain zip code. And because I have some relationship with this rural electric cooperative for a discount on your bill, you get a discount on your bill if you buy Whirlpool because I'm going to basically subsidize your power costs. So like okay. it could be in this on, particular zip code or this particular could be in PG&E, could be in Pepco, it could be Duke Energy, it could be whatever. The point is, is it could be partnerships with these utilities to incentivize people to lower their power bills, to let these companies subsidize people's power bills down to nothing if they buy these particular energy efficient things. And then it comes back to the problem of what's their incentive to do that? Nothing. They don't have one. Welcome to the World Changing Podcast. Was that too much? Yeah, that was probably too much. But let's keep it. We'll keep it anyway. How about this? If we do the podcast and the world doesn't change, then we can take that out. Welcome to the World Changing Podcast, where we deconstruct the projects and products that are moving us towards a decentralized and carbon-free future. We'll talk to the skeptics, supporters, and innovators in the fields that depend on electricity to run their industries, which is changing every single day. I'm your host, Greg Robinson, co-founder of Aston Labs, a decentralized infrastructure company. And on the other side of the camera here, we have Flo Lumsden, our producer, and she will make sure that the train stays on the tracks while we do this. Well, Greg, we finally made it. Mm-hmm. Well, nobody knows that outside of these microphones. <laughs> I mean, I think it's fun to keep it a little bit real, right? I know. No? Not a little bit real? Yeah, no. That, that I said I know. <laughs> okay, so here I have our little prep document. Greg and Flo take on retail electricity providers. What are we calling this? What are yeah, we... probably not that. What are we calling it? Because retail electricity providers are like a like a specific type. This is just like such a great way to start this conversation. What do we call them? Depending on where you live, we'll just stay very US centric. It's like a completely foreign concept to you of having like a retail electricity provider. Like where we are now, there's no option. Like you just pay your energy bill. And in some places they call it a light bill. Some places they call it an energy bill. Wait. So what do you mean? So like I've always had, like here we have Duke Power that I have for my house. And then in California, I had, um, I want to keep, I want to call it progressive. PG&E. Yeah. (laughs) PG&E. I hear progressive a lot. People talk to me about progressive a lot. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, I'm surprised I don't dream about, I haven't had a dream about flow from progressive (laughs) yet though. Yet to happen. You know, so, so I've always had, so I had Duke and then I had PG&E um, and in D.C. I think it was something like, maybe even, was it PG&E? I don't know. No, it would have been, I know what it's called. But then, <laughs> but, but then in Denver, I was reading they have cooperatives where, yep. where the power users like people like me co-own the company mm-hmm. and have a say. Yep. And they do cool things like help you buy batteries for your house and put solar yep. in your house and that sounds like something I'd like. But so what, when you say it's something people don't know about, what do you mean? Yeah. So I think the DC 
one is called Pepco. Does that sound That right? sounds somewhat familiar. Yeah. yeah. Um, but actually, when you were there, it might have been something different. But, but yeah, those are called, the ones you mentioned, PG&E, Duke Energy, Duke Power, Duke Energy, and Pepco, those are called investor-owned utilities. Mm-hmm. So they're like publicly traded companies that have a fiduciary responsibility to maximize shareholder value, all the things mm-hmm. that a publicly traded company board has but they also provide you this like basic service to your house that without it you basically wouldn't live in like modern society those seem like competing jobs don't they it's like on one hand you have this company that is the only one you can go to duke energy is the only one you don't get to call up like somebody else and be like hey i'm looking yeah, there's for no competition it's right. a monopoly right but their responsibility is to maximize shareholder values you have to compete against people in order to do that the other one is a monopoly where you have no competition. So it's like, there's always been this conundrum. Mm. Okay, so you've got this investor-owned utility. Okay. And these investor-owned utilities are the ones you just talked about. Other places you have companies like municipal power companies, which are a little bit different. All of this stuff you can look up online. On these, but Municipal, that means like city-owned. Yeah, it'd be like a city utility. Even in North Carolina, like the city of Apex has some sort of municipal district. I don't know if it's for their power or their water, but like these are places where the city is responsible for sending the bills out, getting paid, collecting oh. the payments for the infrastructure to keep it running and to pay for, okay. f- to keep your lights on basically. Yeah, like or in, you in water Raleigh, on. we have municipal yeah. water. Oh, okay. And trash. Yeah, right. So I, pay, I go to the city of Rod- Raleigh website right. and pay them directly. Right, so like you might have that like Seattle City Light, they are a municipal power company. So they might own power generation. They might have contracts with poles and wires companies to move the power into the city. Uh, they may or may not own the power lines. So there's just like all of these relationships and all these different like business entities that at the end of the day, you're going to get a power bill. Everyone universally understands getting a power bill. That's like understood. But what is weird is if you spent your whole entire life in Seattle, you would have this experience with a municipal power company that is a city-run entity, and their only objective is to deliver electricity to you at an affordable rate. They don't have to maximize shareholder value. Uh, They're not trying to get their stock price to go up just over the water on the other side of, uh, of Lake Washington, and now you have Puget Sound Energy and have a company that delivers your power bill whose entire job is to make their stock price go up to maximize shareholder value. And the other side is to deliver reliable electricity to the people who, who buy the power from the municipality. I, I think you can usually pick up on that because the investor-owned utilities often have sleek branding and ESG <laughs> teams right. and yeah. stuff to make sure they're looking and acting yep. new and cool and sophisticated the same way like giant gas companies do some, you know, right. kind of a little bit, of, bit of greenwashing going on. <laughs> I mean, maybe not yeah. super bad. Maybe not as bad. Let's just call it greenwashing. We can just... I just If know. somebody doesn't want to call it greenwashing, they can come on the podcast and talk to us about how it's not. How about that? <laughs> I don't know why I had that reaction. but <laughs> like, like, no, I don't want to be on that one. I'll take know, that I met one. a guy when I lived in San Francisco who worked for PG&E. 
and he was on their sustainability team and he was very authentic in his pursuits and had studied sustainability. And I met him and talked to him and I felt like he was a trustworthy, authentic person. Yeah. I think he probably did make some impact there and there, you know, it's California. The people, the culture there is to care about those things, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. You just always wonder how much of this job that they've hired for is to make sure they look like they're doing the right thing and how much of it is like they're really listening to him and he's an important part of the team. Yeah, It could be a little bit of both. Probably is a little bit of both. So pretty much everybody I've ever met who worked at a utility has been great and awesome. And like you said, they might even be on a mission and they might just feel like the only way to get PG&E to like completely get rid of fossil fuels is to work inside of PG&E to try to get rid of it. Yeah, I'm sure that yeah. I'm sure that that is somewhat true. Yeah. I think I mean the trouble is, is we've known each other for long enough now for you to know that I'm always thinking about the incentives. Like what is exactly. not what are the people? No, no, no. It's yeah. like what are the people Investors, incentives they have to, to make money and yeah. they also have to look good doing it. Right. And if they don't then they if if they don't maximize shareholder value, then their stock price tanks. If their stock price tanks, they can't get the, their cost of financing goes up, and they can't buy as many assets, which means they can't make as much margin, and they can't grow. And then they might not be able to upkeep their equipment. See where I'm going with this? Yeah, it's yeah. Kind of maybe what everything what has happened. Everything a bit. in our economy is based on profits and right. your credit score and your profits, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So, I mean, with these folks, it would be like not so much maybe credit score, but credit worthiness. Like if you go to, a, if pg e goes to a bank and they have like a AAA rating on their, on their stock and it's like no brainer. Now, as soon as that rating starts to go down, all of a sudden they don't get the same rates they used to be able to get. Yeah. And so you have to have empathy for, you know, they're just playing the game within the, right. the game that, yep has been created. Yep. It's not like they can rewrite the whole game of the economy as one company. Yeah. I told you I was going to keep going back to Bill Nussie's book. I guess there's sort of like a cascading level of books here because I think before uh, Freeing Energy, there was um, The Grid. Did you put that? I should there? say, I have Bill Nussie's book and was there's two little shelves there. <laughs> it was supposed the to second one was supposed to be Bill Nussie's book. And, and I, as it happens, everything else went perfectly today, except I couldn't find his book. <laughs> but yeah. I did have so, this one. So Gretchen Backey, I'm not even sure if I pronounced her name right. Um, but in this book talks about how we got here, like how, what's like the, the human story of how we got here. Um, Free energy kind of reiterates that. Basically, a long time ago, this guy named Samuel Insull was like, you know, kind of. So came- we're, ju- we're jumping into this. Well, I'm going to come back to your question in just a second. Okay. So um, I'm so impatient. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want the answer, and I want it now, Daddy. But it is going to be blueberry. Well, it was just chocolate it- factory. Uh, that's right. That's where I was pulling from. Okay, go ahead. Was that? Yeah. I want okay. the blueberry. What did she want? I don't remember. Well, she ate a blueberry and she became a blueberry. So I think she wanted a blueberry. Yeah, she wanted the blueberry, the chewing gum dessert or but whatever I it was. I had this feeling that there was some kind of squirrel involved. I, that's what this whole topic feels like. 
He's like, there was a squirrel involved here, and we chased it out the, down the road. Um, so back to okay, back. Yes. We're both ADD. So back. To I was Samuel gonna say. Insel. I was gonna say like, so Samuel Insult is credited with coming up with this concept where utilities should there should just be one set of wires going down the road, and there shouldn't be multiple utility companies delivering electricity to you. That started a really, really, really long time ago, and pretty much nobody argued that like for a very long time and our our situation looks a lot like that today so you have this these municipalities and you also have another group that's kind of like a municipality which is called a co-op a lot of times those are rural electric cooperatives and those are kind of the same they have a bunch of members like a co-op does and those members pay dues and the job of the electric co-op is to keep the lights on and to make the necessary investments to keep the lights on for people. And then those people pay a power bill. So there we are again. All of the experiences are pretty much the same. You have some company there, they deliver you electricity, you pay them. The incentives of how they get there are very different, mm -hmm. right? Depending on if they're investor-owned or they're municipal or they're a co-op. And then we have this very unique thing that's happened since the 90s. 1990, there was this new concept called a retail electricity provider. Ah. Which is at the top of the page here. That entity doesn't typically own any poles and wires. They don't own anything. They are a company that contracts for electricity with somebody who owns power generation. They then sign you up as a homeowner or a business. And they bundle up electricity prices to you. And behind the scenes, they have to trade electricity with people. And depending on who you ask in this industry, in the energy business, uh, that has either been a really good experiment or a really terrible experiment to add those to the power lines. Because obviously, somebody like Duke Energy... They don't want retail power companies because now they don't get to send you all that money they spend on marketing to you and telling right. you all the great things they're doing and they might be doing great things. But And or they oh. wouldn't have to do that if they were just, if they only use retail power companies to sell their power and they were just like the... So that's why, like, depending on who you ask, that's either like a really great thing or it's a really terrible thing. The really terrible thing is that in a lot of states where this has happened... There's a lot of schemes. There's uh, a lot of people that they'll go and prey on people who can't understand what the offer is or they think that the power company just showed up at their door to sell them something, but because they've been paying a power bill their whole life, right? Like if you're in your... I see. I don't want to pick out an age group, but if you grew up in the 60s and 70s and that's when you started paying all of your power bills and then magically this person walks up to your door and says, I want to sign you up for a better rate on your electricity and then you go and sign then now all of a sudden you're paying this private company instead of paying this investor-owned utility that's been there your whole life and you don't even know it right because here's the thing that happens in most states i think with the exception of texas you still get a power bill from your old utility except there's a new line in the power bill that says that person who just walked up to you and sold you electricity. 
So they're making money out the side of that power bill. And you don't, you might not even know it. Okay. So why is this happening? So that goes back to the incentives, right? Like the utility company, let's pick on somebody here. Who should we pick on? doesn't really work for Duke Energy. So we got to pick on somebody else. It's usually like Con Edison or something like that, like the New York one. So Con Edison wants to send power bills. Like they have the relationship. They presumably can audit things if it comes through their bill and then gets sent to the end person. They don't really want to lose that customer relationship, but they're not really in charge. Like there's this other entity in New York called the Public Service Commission. And it's basically like the government watchdogs for how businesses treat people, right? Mm -hmm. That's the Public Service Commission. They're commissioned to, to make sure that when the utility sends you a bill, they can't like double your prices. They have to approve pretty much everything. So they also are the people who would say, uh, hey, we're going to let competition come in. We're going to let retail electricity providers come in and sell power. Let's go down both of these paths. I believe that as long as there's enough regulation on the retail power people, on the private businesses selling you electricity, I think that startups and tech-enabled companies are better at providing great customer experience and packaging things in a way that you could look at them and say, okay, here's this one segment of the population and um, it, uh, all these people who own electric cars. If I have an electric car, my experience with electricity is very different than if I don't, mm-hmm. right? Like my transportation now is electrified. A retail power company could start up and be like, I'm only going to sell to electric car providers. And when I trade electricity, I'm going to give them discounts if they charge their car at different times of the day. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they can so come like up that, with creative. Right. So that's just a different product for a unique customer segment. That's the argument for broad competition. Mm-hmm. And then Con Edison can roll back and just become the manager of the poles and wires. Right. For some reason, that's not very popular with Con Edison. Okay. If someone that listens to this can answer, why is that not popular for Con Edison? I really want to know that answer. Yeah, I have that question too because there's other, I mean, the first analogy that came to my mind is kind of a funny one, but boutiques mm-hmm. for clothing mm-hmm. for women mm-hmm. that curate, they pick out the clothes and the brands and they buy from the makers who may also sell their clothes on their website, but they curate the supply and they mm-hmm. deliver an experience to their customers that is unique. And I don't think that's mm-hmm. a great analogy because electricity is electricity, but I don't make, <laughs> but it, but the point you're making, I think is on, which is that, there is a customer out there with their own needs, wants, interests, desires, everything. Yeah. And beauty of the free market is that someone can come and meet that need. Yeah. Like I and that works. For me, yeah. I'm I feel like I'm a pretty smart person. And now that we've been working together, I know a lot more about electricity, but I still look at my electricity bill and I find it very confusing. I don't think it should be. And I can they've got all these nice graphs, and I'm like, they're obviously trying to explain to me what's going on. <laughs> But it's just not right. registering for yeah. me. So you would probably be one of those people that'd be like, if there was a my demographic friendly power company that would just even if maybe they charge me a fixed monthly payment or maybe they 
have a fixed rate or maybe they offer me, you know, like... I would love a fixed rate. Or maybe they offer me some solar panels and then they roll up my power bill for me. There are people who have tried to package these in different ways. I being one of them in, in, in the last company that I was working on. Drift. Like, with, yeah, with, have we talk, I don't know if we're talking about Drift. But yeah, with we Drift, have. I was like, I and all the people who work there, like we all ran into these issues of like, well, it's really hard. It's really hard in the power bill world to innovate that much mm-hmm. for the reasons you're saying. It's like, at the end of the day, I just have to pay the thing. We won't go to this now, but I do want to talk about what is the actual right experience, user experience mm-hmm. for electricity, which after a decade of working on that, I have some pretty strong opinions about what the proper experience oh, yeah. should do you be. Wanna, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, uh, in a second. Let's... um. Do you want to go back to into the history a little bit? Well, I think setting up this idea that it's like, okay, let's let's go back to the top. So we've got, we now have these four entities, right? We've got this right. investor-owned utility. Mm-hmm. I owe you. I owe you. We've got this municipal power company. It's a rural electric co-op. And then we have these retail electricity providers that really are just like, um, there are so many analogies to these and actually other industries like, in cellular, you might have like Boost Mobile or something right. like that, where it's like they're a carrier, but they're not like a poles and wires. They're not a cell tower company, right? They run on other people's networks. I don't know who Boost runs on, but like Boost and Cricket and Mint and all of these things, like mm-hmm. they all run on other people's infrastructure. And so that had to get opened up. That had to be allowed, right? Mm-hmm. We could yeah. very well still be in that world where one company owns your telephone plan, but we're not anymore. They opened that infrastructure up where it's like you could now own infrastructure and provide an end service to somebody. You could also resell or you could sell wholesale services to somebody and then they could package it for an end customer. Right. Pretty much every industry does this except for electricity. Yeah, it's like I literally think the only mobile one. phones is a really good analogy because mm-hmm. you pick the phone that you want, which could be the thermometer. Mm-hmm. Or that, or it could the be smart meter on the outside. The smart of the house. meter yeah. um, on the outside of the house, mm-hmm. like the yeah. product. You could that could be more right optionized. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, you could have the business plan. Nowadays, it's mostly a standard rate. You don't right. pay for minutes anymore, right? Yeah, unless you really want to. Yep. Which most people don't. We could do that the same with power and have the same power bill and. Because as Gary said in our last episode, mm-hmm. whether you use the infrastructure or not, it's there and it, it costs about, it costs what it costs to have the mm-hmm. grid that we have. Yep. And it seems like they could come up with like a, okay, square footage maybe based mm-hmm. or, you know, I don't know. Yeah. This gets in a, like all sorts of ph- philosophical questions of like, well, you don't really care about innovating if you don't have any competitors. Yeah. Like what's the point? Right. So there's one argument for why the poles and wires should just be like like the roads, right? It's like if the poles and wires were like the roads, it's not like our roads are completely deregulated. I mean, we all drive on them, but you have to follow rules. You have to get your car licensed. You have to have certain emissions tests. When you pump, you fill up with gas, like a portion of your gas payment goes into taxes to pay for the roads that then the roads get improved. There's ways of 
having this public infrastructure right. that doesn't have to also include all of the commerce that runs on that public infrastructure, if that makes sense. Right, like right. I, From beginning to end, it's one company. Right. In a lot of places, right? So in, now, most, in a lot of places. Texas is actually this, so let's just focus on kind of the market. Texas is an open market. It's like an unregulated market. So what it means is in most places in Texas, you have to call a retail electricity company to okay. buy electricity from them and you can buy from many of them. They're sort of the opposite of most of the other retail electricity providers in the country in that you get a bill from that company. So let's say you have like Flows Electric Company. Flows Electric Company is operating in Texas. I move there. I say, oh man, I really like this branding. This mm -hmm. is great messaging. And I like the company. I like the rates, everything. Uh, they, they're going to even give Maybe me... Maybe they have good e reviews. Give me great rates on, on uh, financing solar panels from a house too, right? So there's you've got this thing for this group of people. Oh, and the, uh, Flows Electric only charges me a fixed monthly payment. So I just sign up, pay like 100 bucks a month, all good. I could choose that and you would give me the entire bill for everything that I just said. Electricity, poles and wires, everything. So it's sort of more of an obvious customer experience, which is I signed up for a company and that company sends me a bill. What a concept. <laughs> Most of the other places in 49 other states, they're not all deregulated, but in the other 49 states, the company that owns the poles and wires whether you like them or not, they send you a bill. Uh, okay. Even if you sign up for a retail electricity provider in most of the other states, you're mm -hmm. still going to get a bill from that poles and wires company. It's not a choice. Right. Right. You can choose who you want to get your power from, but you can't choose who you're going to get your power bill from. There are some companies, probably the biggest company that has done this is, I think we mentioned them on the Community Solar podcast, but... Um, Arcadia Power, you know, that was one of the very first things I ever did, which was like just started taking over people's power bills so that they didn't have to keep paying this power bill to like Con Edison. And then they would sign you up for different services on top of that power bill. The trouble with something like that is that they have no influence over the cost of that power bill. They just have to pay it. Mm -hmm. And so they weren't able to come in and say, Oh, your power bill was 150. Well, I found these extra charges that you don't have to pay for. They didn't get to say that. They just like, had to take the whole $150 bill, collect the money from you and pay it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so then they would sell you like renewable energy certificates or something on top to, for a green charge. That's how they would make their margin. And so this gets all the way back to the beginning, which is just like the incentive for this like, zero competition, monopoly, investor-owned utility is to never lose that position as the monopoly investor-owned utility that controls everything. That's, but again, I would love for somebody to like tell us why. It would be great if it was somebody from the utility that was like, why do you still want to do that? Is it just because you always have? Is that actually what's good for customers? And if it is what's good for customers, like it would be great to know. But I don't it could know be answer. sunk costs. Like they've already spent all this time and energy Money. creating the marketing and the, the infrastructure yeah. for the customers to interact with. 
So you just kind of like reap their, they have to like get paid back for all that. But you're you're not going to lose any money. You're still going to get to charge for your poles and wires. So the question is like, what else is in that power bill? I don't want to start any conspiracy theories. What else is in the power bill? <laughs> I do feel like competition would be a good thing. There it is. And or you said just, it. I also just think it's good when companies focus on fewer things rather than lots of things. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that like, I love this. Uh, there's some graphic floating around the internet that's like somebody took Craigslist and then, right. and then they like pulled out like one line and then like, that one single line became Airbnb. That one single line became like a hundred billion dollar plus company. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there's many, there's a lot of evidence that companies being able to serve a customer segment is much better than the general provider. It's like a restaurant that wants to make everything. <laughs> that's right. Oh man, that's, I don't know if we talked about that on any of the other episodes, but that could be a whole entire. No, that probably is the next part of this episode. Well, I actually have a thought before we, um, I just wanted to say, I think even before we started doing research for this conversation and I started learning more, I always just felt like because of what you said, like they send you a bill, whether you sign up for them or not, mm -hmm. there's no choice. There's no, I mean, I lived in, I can't remember if it was DC or San Francisco. I had, I did get to choose between two power companies at one point, somewhere mm. I lived. Mm -hmm. I think. A DC, maybe. Okay. I just don't know when that. Um, yeah, like DC was a deregulated area. One of the places I lived, I got to choose between two or three power, like I think two power companies. Mm. But other than that, it feels like you're almost just dealing directly with the government. Like as a consumer, it's, and as an environmental advocate or someone who wants to see innovation in the way that we consume fossil fuels to power everything. And it's almost just on both of those fronts, it's overwhelming. It's a monopoly. And so it's, and it's tied directly to the government because they have to have everything secured by the government to put up all this infrastructure, but it's also a publicly traded company. It just doesn't make any sense. Right. It, and it's just, it seems almost like a conspiracy or something. Like, it just seems like <laughs> not yeah. right. Yeah. Every one of these types of conversations just start to tip into that, like, sort of like black hole of like, yeah, something seems <laughs> odd. It's just, fr it's frustrating. Yeah. It's like nothing else is that way. So you're like, it's always been that way, but it's a frustrating part of life that you just can never quite understand, but you feel like yeah. even though it's a company, it is basically the government. That's how I feel. It's like yeah. kind of, it's kind of, I feel like it's the government. Yeah. Yeah. And in that way, they have a lot of power. Yeah. I have some ideas of how we got here, or at least some theories on how we got to this point where it's become overwhelmingly frustrating that this still works the way it does. And part of it has to do with that. I'm going to use the word fragmentation, but like we sort of have a fragmented customer profile now, which means everybody doesn't want the same thing. Mm -hmm. Once upon a time, when Samuel Insole was running around. I just to, love his story so I much. Did. I have to tell it in a minute because I just think he's a cool person. 
Go ahead. When he was running around he was, Chicago and New York with Edison. Right. and Yeah, he was running around. He was like, you know, I think we could probably create some pretty like long-term competitive advantages by creating monopolies and not letting anyone compete with us. Like, what a great idea. Makes sense. Yeah. And then somebody probably came up and was like, you're not going to get that done in the U.S. And he's like, I will. At least that's how I think the conversation went. And uh, so he, when he was running around, it's like people want to, they wanted lights. Just that's wanted it. light at night. Mm-hmm. All good. And then people wanted some more things. And then they were like, Refrigerators. Well, well, everybody wants refrigerators and everybody wants, you know, and then once heating and air conditioning, all that. It's like these were sort of universal things that people wanted. And if you added them to your home, everything that people wanted on the electric grid added to their own bill. Mm-hmm. If you add electric car charging to the grid or you add like a data center to the grid or you add solar panels to your own house or you add geothermal heating to your home that also generates electricity. It's like now you're starting to move into this weird phase where it's like what you do on your own place now is starting to have a broader impact on the grid. Mm -hmm. I think Ed and I talked about this in an episode like like, power 3.0. Yeah, Samuel and so it was like, we're just going to push power. We're going to build stuff and the more different types of users and different types of assets we can add to this grid to use the power, we can build one plant and serve a whole bunch of different types of customers. Then we can add another one and we can serve a whole bunch of different types of customers. Well, that all started to move into the world where it was like, what happens if somebody else builds their own power plant on their house or on their building? Mm-hmm. Well, how does that business model work? In lieu of anyone having a good idea of how that would work with the power grid, we just stay stuck with the same idea. We just let Duke Energy still send a bill and then uh, we'll let this monopoly uh, figure out how to deal with that. Even though for 100 years, they haven't had to figure that out. Like these monopoly utilities never had to know about how to deal with somebody pushing power back at them. What am I supposed to do with it? As Gary talked a lot about that. So I think it was just, that's why it's become overwhelmingly frustrated is that the power bill customer profile looks nothing like the power bill customer profile even from 10 years ago. Because 20 years ago. We're doing so, everything electrically. And the electric, more, we, yeah. Electrically a word. Electronically. I think probably electrically sounds good enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything. Yeah. So we're not just doing a couple of lamps. Couple of lamps. Yeah. We're like, I mean, you're sort of like pushing it back. Uh, You're pushing it back in. And once that starts to happen, and now we're talking about like, oh, now we want to, now we want to push it back in. And there's been this, this phrase for a long time, which is like, what if we want to sell it to somebody else? Like, what if I, as the commercial building, want to sell it to my neighbor? Am I allowed to do that? Can I can I back up for a second? Because mm-hmm. I feel like you brought up two big points and you're kind of overlapping them. And I feel like the first point was we have different power customer profiles than we did, mm-hmm. especially like data centers, businesses that run on tons of electricity, mm-hmm. um, 
blockchain technologies or uh, Bitcoin mining. Bitcoin mining. Yeah. Um, That's actually a really good point. Bitcoin mining is something that many people don't want on the grid, and yet it's there. So we've got. It's like who adds that capacity? And then, oh, and then the other customer profile you mentioned, other than data centers, Bitcoin mining, like electric car charging, like uh, a garage of electric car charging. Mm -hmm. It's like, you go, like everybody goes there to charge their car. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's going to be like a big stock on the grid. Mm-hmm. And those customers are unique from all the different little homeowners or even small businesses that might right. need electricity. Yeah. And so we have this giant difference between various customers of the electric grid mm-hmm. that could be addressed in a new and different way. Right? Not even they could be. It's like they should be. They probably should be. Yeah. That's my point. The reason it's gotten so bad or so annoying that we still just have the same one power bill is that like they have no incentive to innovate because they have no competition yeah and so i have another idea hospitals uh pharmacological mm -hmm. companies Mm -hmm. that are doing drug development and Mm -hmm. if they lose power it could be worth oh, yeah. millions or billions or if you're a yeah. hospital could be worth lives that's a good point yeah like reliability now that we run so many things on electricity yeah so we we could yeah. have a need for private utilities mm-hmm. that come in to supply those unique customers who need either right. a ton of power all the time mm-hmm. and they don't want to be sucking that off the grid because it's just makes the regular yeah. grid unstable or it's not i don't know why it's well, it's like what the Gary, Gary was. It was like what Gary was saying. It's like if you want it for ten minutes a year, we got to build the same grid for ten minutes a year that we have to build for eight thousand hours a year. So <laughs> if the utility needs this like really high reliability, and they want to build like a private utility around them, well, if they need that big grid for ten minutes a year, then the big grid has to build all of that capacity to just sit there and wait for them to need that. 10 minutes is probably too low. Let's call it 20 days, right? Instead of 10. 10 minutes is easy with generators and stuff like that, yeah. but <laughs> batteries. But the point is, it's just that. We could probably sit here for an hour and just pick out these new customer, customer segments, pro- yeah. at, customer profiles and or personas. And I was kind of blurring the line there between a buyer of power and somebody who's going to do both. And I just think right. that the new customer profile is going to always do both. Okay. I mean, maybe you live in an apartment and you probably won't do both. But if you're a homeowner nowadays, like, probably going to get... My power went out twice this week. Did it really? Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, I'm probably going too far into, like, the user friendliness. And we're not even talking about the fact that, like, the point you brought up is, is a great one, which is different reliability profiles like you might be okay financially if your power goes out twice a week but there are some people that would lose a lot of money with their business if their power goes out so all this sums up to sorry to jump in but like i'm getting a big surgery probably in about a year and i've never Mm -hmm. had a big surgery it's like an eight hour or six to eight hour surgery Mm -hmm. on my jaw Mm -hmm. and it just occurred to me last night that I want to check on wherever the hospital is. I want to check on what kind of backup power they have. <laughs> yeah. Because the power went out 
I lied. It hasn't gone out twice. It went out once this week, but it was for like for four hours. Yeah. I thought it was going to go out yesterday, so I put that mentally in my head, but it didn't. Okay. But um, <laughs> it went out in spirit. It flickered yesterday. Yeah. And that oh, scared yeah. me. That's it. Yeah. Um. But yeah. No. Yeah. It occurred to me that you know if I'm going to be under the knife, under anesthesia, where they're checking my heart rate, and that's all electronic, mm-hmm. needs electricity. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look into the backup power supply. Yeah. Was, yeah. But that's a great example. Like hospitals typically have that kind of okay. redundancy. Um, yeah. Because, like you said, life and death. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's so many more power outages now than there were 20 years ago, which seems wrong. It seems like as we get more advanced with our technologies, it should become less rather than more. And so I think that's why it's gotten so frustrating is like we now have all of these different both generation power generation options and desires to produce desires to produce desires to consume our products are so much better than they've ever like in terms of like the interfaces that we expect and some customer I mean still holding off on I don't want to talk just yet about the actual power bill itself but because there's so many different types of customers who have different types of needs it's going to be very hard for the utility company to maintain that position and so at some point, it's going to have to be like, those companies just need to get replaced. Maybe we can put this in the notes, but we should find out what the mechanism is if you wanted to replace Duke Energy. Like, what would it take for them to actually get unseated? There is some mechanism by which they could be, mm-hmm. but it could be like, you know, you need to own, you need to get like so many votes or something like that, or you get a petition. But it would be interesting to know because if they're not going to meet that customer demand, somebody has to come in and do that, you know. So just for me, so we talked about these unique new customers that are sometimes, uh, what are they called? High, high profile, high mm. require. They need high redundancy. They need right. high redundancy uh-huh. and versus regular homeowner. Or high reliability. High, high reliability. So that's a new new thing. And the other new thing is we want to put more green power on the grid and we want to, and we've got all these cool new innovations to like small modular nuclear reactors that are the size of a home that could power a whole neighborhood. We've got solar panels you can put on your house, solar farms, um, geothermal, all this, all the stuff that's mm-hmm. coming in that needs to be connected to the grid or could be used to power one of these high-end users or whatever. I don't mm-hmm. need a term for that, but... Mm-hmm. Um, critical users. Critical. Yeah, critical. Critical, critical industries. Critical. Yeah. Power critical. Like, yeah, where power is mission critical. Mission critical yeah. power consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are two different things that have changed. Mm-hmm. My view of it is just that, like, all because clean energy is so much more closely related to like telecom in the sense that it's all technology. You look at the cost curves of deploying a kilowatt hour of solar, like how cheap that is now versus what it was 15 years ago. Yeah. I mean, all of this stuff is coming down. It's like getting cheap as the capacity gets larger. It's getting cheaper per unit. That's not happening in gas or coal or any of these commodity fuels. Those are extractions that you still have to do. If you have a gas pipeline that's coming in, you can put a generator there. But if you don't have a gas pipeline that's coming in, I'm not bringing a tank of gas to my house anymore or a tank of oil to my house for my heating. Like, I don't have gas. 
at yeah, my house. I don't either. It I freaks me I, out anyway. So there you go. So it's like you're starting to see all of these things are like customer profile shifts. Mm-hmm. And I think that evolution is just like everything gets smaller, everything gets more modular. It's going to be able to go places that the utility is not going to be able to control anymore. But there's going to be a lot of tension and a lot of frustration until we get to that point. All of these different types of utilities that exist and all of those things and like how they're not really meeting the evolution. It's like the evolution of that. The thing I've been pushing off is like, I just don't think any of us should pay power bills anymore. Like I just fundamentally don't believe that. I think, I mean, I would ask you that question. Like, is that something you enjoy doing? Like you were talking about like boutique clothing. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming like boutique clothing is something you enjoy. I mean, I know it's marked up, but it's also curated. Mm -hmm. But it's also something you like doing. But it's also something I like doing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very also different fun than activity. electricity. Yeah. <laughs> I have a fun example. So mm. I have the Apple credit card. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge credit card person to begin with because mm. I don't like to accidentally spend more money than I have, which, you know, inevitably happens when you have a credit card. <laughs> the whole point of it. Um, it's just human you're saying, nature. You're saying that, that, uh, are you saying that credit card companies know that? Yeah, it's the whole point. They know we're not going to be perfect. The risk they're taking is that you might be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Seems um, like a worthwhile risk when it comes to humans. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um. So on the Apple card, it's all through the app, the iWallet, and you go into the card and it has this circular bar, green, orange, red. You pick how much you want to pay off of what you owe. And if you get into the green, it's like, if there's any interest, it's like a super small amount, like $7, $6, whatever. Mm-hmm. You see exactly how much interest you're going to be charged based on what you pay. Mm-hmm. No other credit card has offered that sort of thing. Right. And even though I know sometimes I'm going to have to pay interest, I feel respected as a mm-hmm. human being by Apple and this credit card that they're showing me, okay, yeah. you can choose how much you're going to pay and you're going to see how much interest you're going to pay based on what you choose to pay. Yep. And it's not fun, but it makes me feel like I'm making a choice. It's not like, bulk, here's your interest. You had no idea. Because I'm not going to do the math every right. month to figure out how much interest I'm going to pay. You yeah, they're I mean? very clear about it. I wonder, so. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that's a, like, I don't know if paying power is ever going to be super fun. But you yeah. could make it interesting and like yeah. empowering in a way that's. But that's. I think the Apple card is a great example because like. What does it say on your Apple card? Do you have Nothing. actual metal? Nothing. Does it say Goldman Sachs? Yes. Goldman Sachs. Yeah. So Goldman Sachs has all of the infrastructure behind the scenes. Right. To enable Apple to provide you that experience. Right. Goldman Sachs has figured out how to turn their financial instruments into a platform that other companies like Apple can turn into something valuable and useful and interesting for you. Mm-hmm. Power companies don't do that. Right. But if they did. It could be awesome. It would be so awesome. And then if, they could just focus on the poles and wires. Right. And not being great marketers and right. great like communications people for the Dow or I don't know. <laughs> it's funny how I'm trying to think of some other companies that do that. One of the best ones is cloud computing companies. 
AWS, Azure, all those people, they market, but they market to companies. They market to people who, like Ed, our CTO, they want him to use their servers. And, you know, Ed wants to provide, wants to build a product to deliver an experience to Aston Labs customers. And so he goes and finds this gigantic physical network of infrastructure. These mm-hmm. are buildings. These are yeah. buildings with operations and people who work at them. And they're a utility basically now, right? They're like a computing utility. And Ed goes in and says, I have a thing that I want to deliver to the customers. And so I'm going to rent a little bit of this. And and it's up to AWS and Azure and those people to create the software interfaces that are necessary for people to run their businesses on top of their infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Utilities don't do that. They don't think of the end user as someone who has like uh, an application that they're trying to to build. Yeah. You know what I mean? They think of them as like somebody who needs electricity. Yeah. If AWS thought of, of Ed as somebody who needed cloud computing, they might not build a whole bunch of really cool software to make it easy for Ed to use their infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's just something that's totally missing from the utility business. Now, if a private company or some startup wanted to go and build that middle layer for the utility, the utility doesn't have any competitors, so they don't really care. So they can be like, nah, all good. We're kind of getting back to the invisible barriers that nobody really knows why they're there and nobody can truly, I really want somebody to tell me like, why doesn't Con Edison or Duke Energy, why don't they want to open up their platform for innovation so that startups can just like build the future of energy on top of their infrastructure? Maybe we'll have somebody from Duke Energy and they can tell us. You know anybody? Not yet, but I can find somebody. I can find him right now. I got LinkedIn. That's what I do on LinkedIn. I'm going to send him a message right now. No, I don't go too crazy. (laughs) Okay, so this has been on my mind for like, I feel like a decade. I still maintain best consumer experience for electricity, for your Duke Energy bill, is that you don't have to pay it. There's so many things that would go into you not having to pay for that. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure the only way that you wouldn't have to pay for it anymore. And when I mean pay for it, I don't mean that, that they don't get paid. I'm just saying you don't have to like be the customer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like okay. to be able to watch Netflix. At the end of the month, you don't get a bill from AWS that says, thank you for using Netflix. Now pay for your cloud computing bill. You don't do that. Netflix says, no problem. I'll pay for AWS so that you can watch Netflix. And that $16 a month that I charge you per user, that's going to pay for all of the things that I paid for to get my application to you. So let's think of some of the things that you use in your life that consume electricity. Those to me, in my mind, they're applications of electricity. You nor I want electricity, just like you nor I want cloud computing. Right. We want the thing that uses cloud computing to make us have cool stuff. We want the thing that uses electricity, these lights, those lights. The refrigerator. The refrigerator. We just want those things. So... Could there be a tax on those things that goes to pay the electricity bills? Could be a tax. 
But it's not even just to pay the electricity bill. It's literally to build and maintain the infrastructure that's necessary. Right. Does it even have to be... Like, now, if we get off of oil and right. onto more and more sustainable, yeah. cheaper, solar's cheaper than oil. Mm-hmm. Um, Reliable then it co- solar is... Ha- is Batteries are expensive still. Well, they're not that expensive anymore, but but yes, I see your point. But solar on its own is not the equivalent of a gas-fired power plant. Could there be an energy tax? I think the trouble with that is just like nobody would want tax. Like you say that word tax and everybody's like, nope, give me that power bill. Like if you were going to build a new tax into something, I think you'd have a hard time getting the constituents to say, sure, add taxes. Maybe not. I could be wrong. Taxes are hard. New taxes are hard. So what do you? They've been what trying to do like a carbon tax for a long time. Um, I don't know. Maybe I those, mean, but it would maybe be those re- companies pay. But for it would it. be in replacement of a bill. When you're saying tax, are you saying that a tax we would pay or mm-hmm. a tax that the company? I think I think it would be hard to say that you're gonna in in you're gonna have a new like. Like instead of there just being sales tax on your refrigerator that you buy, there would also be an energy tax. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a hard sell because now you're taking people who maybe they need a refrigerator to store food, but now you add this additional cost. It would only take like, you know, five or six years for people to forget that they got a free power bill. It would work day one because the power bill would go away and they'd be like, I don't have to pay a power bill anymore. I'm saving all of this money. But they, what if they paid it all at once? Like a, like, like a sales tax. That's what I'm saying. If you raise the price of refrigerators, I don't know. I don't, that would be a hard. I just want to get rid of recurring fees. I hate recurring fees. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather just pay. By the way, my argument is not right. I'm just, okay. I'm just testing. Spitballing. Okay, so what is testing. your idea? Your idea is to pay per appliance. I'm as a- not even saying that you and I should have to bear the brunt of that. I'm just saying that the cost that... But it would come back to us. I mean, they have to cover it somehow. Maybe. They have to cover it somehow, but it may not... But the price of a refrigerator is the price of a refrigerator. So if somebody said, I'll make a little less margin... I don't know if this is still true, but I'm going to say it anyway because this is our podcast and we can say whatever we want. I believe that the total price of electricity for this phone it's in, in its entire life is $12. But if if you were to say, like, I don't know, what's the total, this would be a fun math problem, what's the total cost to have a 100% clean energy grid run 24-7 with very high reliability for the United States? Well, they'd have to put a new in, some new infrastructure. Probably a lot. And that would be an ongoing thing, right? You'd mm-hmm. have to continue to do and it. And then update it. Right. And the only point of that electricity grid is to run all the things that use electricity. Every product that gets sold every year. Right. Every everything. So maybe it's built in as a tax. It could be a tax that gets passed on to us. But that's an opportunity for those private businesses to take that cost and make it better, right? Like with us, like if we use cloud computing for our software application, we are trying every single day to build our applications as efficiently as we possibly can to lower that bill, right? Because the market will only bear a certain price. So like Netflix can't magically say, oh, 
cloud computing bills went up a whole bunch. So now I'm going to raise your Netflix bills by a whole bunch. If Netflix then loses 25%. So, sorry. So you can build your application in a way that it uses less server space and then you pay less server space? How does this apply to... So you're saying if the company that made refrigerators had to pay for their own electricity... Per unit. Per unit. They would try to be more efficient. Correct. Okay. It changes the incentives and puts it on the person who designs the thing. That makes sense. To make them make it cost less so that they can lower the prices and beat their competitors. Just an idea. Yeah. No, I think that's an interesting idea. (laughs) I'm just sort of sitting here in this room and I'm like, could you imagine pushing that rock up a hill? What I just said. Trying to get the whole industry to be like, oh, why don't we just change the entire way that power gets paid for and push it on the companies that sell into the area? There are so many different levels of what I just said that could be innovated on them. Mm -hmm, Yeah. It could be like Whirlpool comes along and says, hey, I'm going to sell Whirlpool refrigerators into this certain zip code. And because I have some relationship with this rural electric cooperative for a discount on your bill, you get a discount on your bill if you buy Whirlpool because I'm going to basically subsidize your power cost. So like okay. it could be... In this on, particular zip code. Or this particular... could be in PG&E, be in Pepco, it could be Duke Energy, it could be whatever. The point is, is it could be partnerships with these utilities to incentivize people to buy, to lower their power bills. Like, is there a scenario with enough power appliance partnerships for you as a consumer, if you had all of the right appliances in your home, the right heat pump, if Duke Energy had this partnership with a whole bunch of these companies and then one was a heat pump and one was a refrigerator and one was a <laughs> Philips light bulbs or whatever. So these companies do the partnerships with the utility company. And then if you had all those, there would be sufficient subsidies. Mm-hmm that you could get your power bill to nothing. That's how I would do it. Again, this is just like Duke innovating. Duke would have to go to those people and be like, I am willing to let these companies subsidize people's power bills down to nothing if they buy these particular energy efficient things. And then it comes back to the problem of what's their incentive to do that? They don't have one. None. Right. So... But that's how I always think about it. And there's so many different ways. Maybe the government could be like, if you can get people's power bills down, we'll give you a tax discount. I know, but they're they're basically part of the government. That's what's so confusing. I know they're not, but it just feels like they are. Another way is if if the regulators allowed Duke Energy to make more money, more Uh, profit mm -hmm. by... Buying, well, maybe that, but by what if you only bought for any electricity you bought from inside of your network? So buying our rooftop solar or whatever. um, If you allowed Duke Energy to to make more profit if they bought from their own customers, that they bought energy or services Uh, from their own customers, yeah, they could make more profit. That would be an incentive change because right now. They pretty much only make money by building new stuff. Think about that. If they only make money by building new stuff 
and you say, I want to build solar panels. They're like, but if you build stuff, <laughs> how am I going to build stuff? Yeah. Uh, I don't really like that. So if you flipped it and said, you can make more profit, well, then you, Flo, have to incur all of your own expenses. They don't even have to pay for that. They just make profit by reselling your electricity. That would change things. So you're saying if they bought electricity from me like they do mm -hmm. with the net metering? Yeah, they do. They kind of buy it from you. They hate that program, by the way. Utilities hate net metering. We should have somebody on here to tell us why they hate net metering. Why do you think they hate net metering? Why do you think a utility hates net metering? Because it's just complicated for them. Kind of, but all they have to do is check your meter and say, well, you made this much. This is one math problem per year, basically, that they have to do. They have to like subtract what you made from what they what you consumed. Because they don't get to make more stuff because you're making more stuff. Because they don't get to make anything up. And what Gary said, which is they still have to be there for when the sun goes down. Right. The they still have up. to have all the stuff sitting in the back room. Ready to fire up <laughs> when the solar panels aren't in right. the sun anymore. Right. But they still have to pay you full rate. So that's why they hate it is because it really doesn't even give them any credit for providing that backup. You just get to use noontime solar credit for your night when the sun's not shining, which isn't how physics works. But I listened to a podcast. Um, I wish I remember which one, but it had this dude on there that works for a electric membership cooperative in Denver. Colorado cooperative paying for Tesla Powerwall installation in homes to improve resiliency. So because it's a cooperative and not an IOU, investor-owned utility, mm -hmm. the customers vote and they get to decide how the profits are spent and they mm -hmm. decided to help their cooperative folks who wanted to buy a battery to improve resiliency on their home to, to do that. Yeah. And to bake that into the net positive impacts of having more resiliency in mm -hmm. Colorado. I can't remember if they've had, I know they've had some fires, um, but they've been having issues with their resiliency of their grid. So they, they see the benefit of having not just solar on homes, but also batteries on homes. Mm -hmm. Um, because the people who are benefiting are also the people who are consuming. Yeah. So that changes the whole 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 thing. The whole thing. Typically, when anyone complains about power industry, they're complaining about investor-owned utilities. Like yeah. these rural electric co-ops. I mean, yeah. If you don't like something, you can rally the troops. Rally the troops. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm really curious. It's like what it would take to get. It. If you wanted to replace an investor-owned utility, like what? Oh. Do you just it, have to rally the troops? I'm not really sure. Yeah. And how many troops do you have to rally? Do you have to rally like $12 billion worth of activist shareholders? Or do you have to just rally like, you know, 60,000 consumers? I don't Culture know. is such a factor too. Like mm -hmm. out West, people are much more open to change and mm -hmm. to cooperatives. And here, I think, I don't know, people aren't as open to change. That's an interesting view. I wouldn't really know. I'm kind of a new. You're, kind a, new, of new. you're a new import to North yeah, Carolina. Yeah. I'm the problem. I'm what, the, everybody, I'm what, everybody's the problem. Talking, <laughs> what everybody's talking about. All those West Coast people who moved into this area. But yeah, there are electric co ops in North Carolina. Probably in the, in mountains. the mountains. Yeah. 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 See, culture. I actually wonder 
if um yes, I mean rural electric cooperatives are rural electric cooperatives for a reason. When you get into the rural areas, you get much more you get that culture where it's like, yeah, like let's all sort of like band together and make this all work for us. Mm-hmm. There's more of a like, let's make this work for us. It's not as much of a... It's more of a community. Yeah, yeah. And so, but I'm trying to think. I thought that Touchstone Electric Cooperative is like here, possibly like right up the road. They're a member organization of member organizations. They're like the, I don't know if they're the parent company or something like that of Rural Electric. Uh, Yeah, Touchstone. but they are a huge consortium of, of rural electric cooperatives. And what's cool about that is all of these different programs, they can help to underwrite technology or put together different types of financing for their member co-ops. And I mean, they have their issues. I mean, you could, you could go through and find. North Carolina electric cooperatives. Building a brighter future for cooperative members and communities. Is that Touchstone? It was on the Touchstone website. Uh, it kind of help all of their member organizations to like vet out technology. Like I said, figure out these different programs that they can do to help their members. So, yeah, I think the whole entire like theme of what we've talked about today has been incentives. What are the incentives and what are the incentives to innovate? Um, you know, Obviously, the view at Aston Labs is that you're not going to fix this from the inside. You have to build, like in order to decarbonize the grid, like you have to build stuff that both that makes clean energy and stuff that consumes clean energy. And if you're just building stuff that makes clean energy and dumping it, dumping it into the dirty grid and the stuff that uses it is not really tuned in the way to use it, then... It might not be great because they might be building a natural gas plant down the street to deal with the reliability issues. Mm-hmm. Like what kind of some of the stuff Gary was talking about. But I mean, all those things that we talked about, whether it's more creative ways for businesses to force the utilities <laughs> into changing the way they do it. But again, I feel like it's just like a broken record of like, well, what's their incentive to do so? not really in their best interest to make things easy for customers because that just costs them money, all of that R&D, everything that they would have to do. So, How does something like the North Carolina Electric Cooperatives interact with Duke Power? A lot of times they'll buy their power from them. Oh, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Is that weird? It just seems to be missing the point. That was what I said. I mean, sort of glossed over that with they have their issues. I mean, a lot of times these electric cooperatives, like they might not own all their own power plants. They're really a member organization to, to source electricity, to source power for their members and provide that service to their members. And if they have to source that power from Duke Energy, then that's just where they get it from. Municipalities yeah. do it too, right? So it's like a it's like a retail electric, but it's a cooperative. Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh there are some other categories of utilities that we didn't really talk about, but they're sort of just blending those ones that we did talk about. Like they have 
these things called community choice aggregations, which are kind of like a, they're like a blend between a co-op and a retail electricity provider. They, they apply for it with the regulators. The regulators have to approve it. I think Marin County in California has a CCA, community choice aggregation, Westchester County, and you can sort of opt in to them. Um, and when you opt in, that community choice aggregator, whoever administers that plan, then has to partner with some sort of electric retail electricity provider or some utility to then source the power for them. But the point of this entity is similar to the point of the co-op, which is you represent the members. Mm -hmm. And they at least have an advocate to say, you know what, members, you don't need to go source electricity on your own one by one. We're going to do it for you. That takes us all the way back to the beginning of our conversation, which is what if like 40% of those people agree with the direction that things should head and 60% disagree with the direction that should head. It goes in the other direction. And so I think, um, I feel like this entire episode has been like, this is one big giant conundrum that someone has to completely. I'd use a different uh, word, but it has the F word in it. <laughs> so I won't do that. Although we are explicit on iTunes because I'm sure we say some cuss words here and really? there. Really? Oh, I man. mean, I don't know. My I mom would be that. so proud. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's really. Does it's Seth, really, doesn't Seth Rogen curse a lot? Doesn't Joe Rogan? Curse. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Seth Rogen. He curses all the time. <laughs> they both curse a lot. Yeah. I think the answer is yes. It's just yeah. a lot of made up, weird, commingled business and government yeah. organization ideas yeah. that somehow basically get us power. Somehow. But pretty much everything we talked about today are like the business entities, right? Like the yeah. last time, last episode, we talked a lot about physical transmission lines and like the physical stuff that has to deliver you power, which is very real and yeah. very much a challenge and a problem. But then this is really all about these business entities that have these sort of not necessarily aligned incentives with the people they're supposed to be serving. Um Unfortunately, I don't know what that like very pragmatic answer is to fix that from the inside. I would love to talk to a utility person, but then again, like they sort of have their marketing that they have to do. Right. And they're not necessarily going to be able to, maybe we can find like a disgruntled, yeah, yeah, like a disgruntled utility person. Like past the NDA stage or something like that. Mm -hmm. That will tell us all about if you're out there, find us. (laughs) But yeah, I think uh, in summary, you have all of these different ways that people provide electricity and I'm just not sure that any of those entities are going to be able to get us to where we want to go with our clean energy future. So it's got to happen. Good luck, Aston Labs. (laughs) Well, I I mean, it's really just that the whole point of starting Aston Labs was like, it has to get fixed by a new infrastructure company. The existing ones aren't doing it. Mm-hmm. And they don't really have an incentive to do it. So anybody who's trying to sell to them or get them to change their ways or raising capital to change their ways or 
think that you can ride on top of their infrastructure. We tried that. Ed and I tried that. All the people who joined us on that mission tried that with Drift. And ultimately, if you're using somebody else's infrastructure in this business, they kind of set the rules. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. All right. Well, the only thing we didn't do, which I could do separately, is a little story time. Yeah. If you feel that the... I mean, as you listen to it, just find out. I mean, I just do a separate little mini. Yeah. You could start it as like, like, like little twinkling sounds and be like, huh. on September 4th, 1882. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the World Changing Podcast. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, to hear the latest episodes.